Hello everybody, my name is Anne Teato and welcome to the Psychic Matters podcast episode number 19. This week we're exploring the topic of diversity in modern day spiritual practice. Intuitive medium and good friend Lorna J. Hines was with me in the studio this week and we've been talking about the reasons why historically people of colour have rarely been honoured for their spiritual contributions and how this has led to a paucity of diversity in spiritual church congregations and spiritual workshops, classes and events. Lorna speaks about growing up as a child in New York and why and how our early experiences reflect how we see and interpret the world around us. Lorna talks to us about the important work she's doing with a very special group she has set up called the Mediums of African Ancestry, a vibrant group of people of all skin colours from many different countries across the globe who are dedicated to researching and honouring our pioneers of colour and to increasing our understanding of the contributions of people of colour in spiritual practice. Not only that, we're also exploring numerology, the importance of community and trance healing and how it works. You may interpret the world in a very different way once you've listened to this fascinating episode. I'm here in the Psychic Matters studio today with Lorna J. Hines, certified intuitive medium, trance healer, counsellor, teacher. I can't tell you how many job titles this lady has. She does a vast array of different types of work and I'm so delighted to welcome her here. Lorna J. Hines, welcome to Psychic Matters. Thank you so much. So lovely to see you. I can see you on my screen and you're wearing this beautiful yellow top and you look all sunny and bright, which is wonderful. Lorna, tell us where you're up to today and and who you are and the type of work that you do. That's an interesting question because in part, I made some decisions after being very ill and we can talk about that at a later time in your interview. But I did make a decision to spend less time or even no time in things that did not bring me joy. And in many ways, I feel as though this particular theme of pursuing things that bring me joy is very much akin to the reasons that I sought the path of spiritual practices in the first place. So back to your original question, I do tend, I admit that I do tend to go off in somewhat of tangents, but I do work hard to bring myself back and make sense about what it is I'm talking about. But presently, I am doing uh, quite a bit of work. Only one thing a day, as I mentioned, since being ill. And so besides the things that you talked about, the mediumship, the trance healing, I am working on a book that I hope and pray will be released the first of the year. It's been a long time coming. It's a sojourn. And what I like to call it is a psychosocial, radical, revolutionary way for people to begin their process, their 
their healing process and coping with the tragedies and the turmoils that we all experience if we are humans. So be on the lookout from straight for straight talk from a wise woman. Uh, that's the title. So I am working on a book. I am also continuing my studies with the SNU, uh, hoping to achieve another credential. In part, I study with them to challenge myself and to learn and to obtain training and competence and the ability to improve and the ability for me to self-analyze aspects of my practice. So that is a part of the things that I'm doing. I have students that I mentor. I think that's very important. I have had the wonderful opportunity of being mentored and supported in my involvement by many wonderful, wonderful people. So I think it is very important to give back. And so my work with students is something that I'm involved with. I am also very involved with the whole idea of racism, sexism, and all of the various isms that wherever we are, we are impacted. Even people that claim that they don't live or that they are not part of diverse environments are impacted by these various isms, classism the various health disparities that go on. So I am very involved in uh, this whole aspect and doing what I can for whatever number of years that I'm going to be on this earth with addressing uh, those uh, issues. And I do want to emphasize that this, this dynamic of isms is something that has a worldwide impact. There is no place on this earth. And a, a, a very famous writer, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Franz Fanon, very old uh, book that he wrote, Wretched of the Earth, where he talked about the pervasiveness of these various isms and the ways in which all nations in many ways are affected by it. So, uh, I am very much involved in, in teaching and training and working on this uh, particular arena. And as you know, because you were very helpful uh, early on in supporting our Facebook group that uh, I serve as the administrator, the Mediums of African Ancestry. And I would like to encourage your readers and your listeners to consider joining that group. This is a learning community, a diverse learning community made up of people that are interested in increasing their understanding of the presence and contributions of people of color in all of the spiritual practices and also the religion of spiritualism. So we begin to unlearn some of the things that we have been taught. For example, historically, when I studied some of the leaders in modern spiritualism, 
for whatever reason, and this isn't a, a put down on anyone, it just is. We don't know why, but it just is, right? So when I was studying all of the uh, people in modern spiritualism, Emma Hardy Bridgen, Andrew Jackson Davis, even Harry Edwards, and I'm, I'm naming people that have a particular interest uh, within me. But for whatever reason, some of the exceptional and extraordinary people of color that were involved in spiritualist practices, both spiritualism and also mediumship, trance, for some reason, they were left out of the conversation. They were left out of the history. Their existence was not honored. Their talents and abilities were not honored. And so, for example, Harriet Wilson, an African-American woman, sat on a trance medium, did wonderful mediumship, developed uh, children's lyceum that were very, from my understanding, very individualized and very much, in terms of the day, very uh, expansive, very, in some respects, I'm going to use the word revolutionary. But nonetheless, Harriet sat on platform with Andrew Jackson Davis and demonstrated and was very much involved in the spiritualist movement. We don't know about her. We never heard of her. It was only through the research of others that I was able to learn about her and begin to resonate with the fact that there are people historically in spiritualist practices that look like me. And therefore, there may be, and I'm going to take away that maybe, there is an opportunity for me to be able to excel as these people have. Now, here's another thing, and I'm going to be a little bit controversial here because, you know, when we get my age, we don't care so much about uh, what people think about us because we figure we don't have too much long on this earth. Uh, not that I'm rushing it. I'm glad to be here. But at the same time, we feel as though, well, if I don't say it now, when am I going to say it? So here's another gentleman that I have been told, and there is actual historical proof by uh, people that do archives and this type of thing, that this gentleman, uh, Pascal Beverly, in actuality, brought spiritualist practice and spiritualist principles and so forth to the UK prior to Maria Hayden, Pascal Beverly, also a African-American man. And last, I'm not going to go on because this isn't history class, but you know, I have the heart of a teacher. We know that somewhere around 1922, when Jim Crow was rampant here in the United States. So we had the end of slavery we had Reconstruction, and then we had the emergence of the Jim Crow systems that were really designed to re-enslave African Americans. Up to that point, around 1920-1922, spiritualists, though, here in the United States, had integrated parishioners. So you had Blacks and whites uh, together. And we are proud, many of us that are spiritualists here, in the United States in recognizing that spiritualists are people that 
were on the cutting edge of the suffragette movement, of abolitionist movements, all of this type of thing. But for whatever reason, the spiritualists here in the United States made the decision under pressure from probably the government, formal and informal places, to rid the people of color that look like me out of the spiritualist churches. And out of that, we see the movement and the development of uh, colored or African-American spiritualist churches at that time. This is not talked about. This is not discussed in my classes, nor is it explored in the fact that in the course of my training, both in, in, in mediumship and other spiritual, spiritualist practices or spiritual practices, that I find myself as the only person of color. I used to wonder about that, but I think I can begin to understand it in part due to the historical fact of the split in the 20s. Now, I don't know what went on in the UK. I'm talking about it in terms of uh, the United States, the split. But I do know even in the UK, I've noticed that there is a paucity of people of color in the classes and programs that I've been involved in. So back to my original point, this group, Mediums of African Ancestry, begin to understand the historical presence of African Americans in spiritual practices. And we seek to learn about ways in which we can encourage and motivate and educate people who may be interested in spiritual practices, who happen to be people of color, and interest them and support their understanding of various spiritualist practices. And it is also an opportunity for white people or non-people of color to begin to look at their practice, look at who it is they're serving, and begin to question if they do not have a representation of people of color in their groups, their workshops, their training, because oftentimes white people or non-people of color may not question why it is they only have white people because it's part of the privilege practice. It's part of the understanding that with privilege, we, we oftentimes t- take things as is. Well, you know, maybe the black people are not interested or maybe the uh, Latin X people are not interested in what it is I have to offer as opposed to thinking about it in terms of, gee, I want to serve everybody. I see myself as an ambassador of of spirit. And so are there ways in which I can reach out to these communities? Are there ways in which I can have a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable practice, as is in the spirit world, because we know all sorts of people are in the spirit world. Asians, Africans, people from the UK, people from New York, and somehow, some way, in the spirit world, these spirit persons have found a way 
to live productively and amicably and in a spirit-focused way. So I believe in my heart that our creator wants the same for us, but we have to begin to learn. We have to, or shall we say, relearn. We have to do self-reflection and increase our self-knowledge and the understanding the extent to which various isms have impacted us and impacted the way we see the world, that we all have this uh, glasses on. And I don't mean glasses like you and I wear, but what I mean by that is a lens over our mind, body, and spirit that impacts and influences how we see the world. And part of that lens includes being impacted by the various isms that I've talked about. And I I hope I'm clear with talking about isms being racism, homophobia, uh, transism, classism. The list is enormous. Wow, that is a lot to consider, Lorna. Let's just go rewind a little uh, and let's keep on this theme about your mediums of African ancestry and African descent, because this is very, very interesting. How are you doing your research into the, the, the colored pioneers? How are you finding out who they are, how they were uh, uh, erased from historical records? How are you finding that out between that group? Well, in a variety of ways. Number one, we have people in the group that have studied this and have done their own research. Uh, We have one particular person that was even able to uh, obtain information from uh, Professor Gates at Harvard, and that was regarding Harriet Wilson. We also have connected to a marvelous, marvelous scholar that has made this her life's work. She is not a medium, (laughs) which is interesting. And she doesn't even practice any type of spiritual uh, type of work. But what she has decided to do is to make her life's work focused on the extent to which African-American, both women and men, have been involved in spiritualism. And her name, I don't mind saying it, uh, is Professor or Dr. Margarita Gilroy. She has done quite a bit of written work, books on this subject. She's continuing to write. And she is a friend of the mediums of African ancestry. And we anticipate that she will also have the opportunity to offer a workshop on our site. There is another woman who happens to be white. Uh, Professor Gilroy is uh, African-American. But there is also a white woman, Karen Heasley, that's very interested in this information and this correction of history, both in spiritualism and spiritual practices. And she is out of the Pittsburgh area, and she has written a book uh, talking about various people of color who have been involved in spiritualism and also spiritual practices. And we notice as we are being engulfed, for lack of a better word, in the murder, as you know, of George Floyd and many others here in the United States, so, so many, and this continues 
on to the present date that there has been support, let's put it positively, there has been support and encouragement to begin to investigate the extent to which lack of diversity is impacting spiritual practices. So Lilydale is doing uh, work. And as a matter of fact, we were invited to present a workshop there uh, online in August, but I became ill. And so unfortunately, we weren't able to have it. So Lilydale is doing uh, work in that arena. And we notice as well that you see some various spiritually focused, I, I don't know if you call them agencies, or, but they are, they are also beginning to uh, offer workshops in this arena, talking about lack of uh, equity and diversity, talking about the extent to which bias, prejudice, institutional racism. These are all things, these are all concepts people that practice spiritually need to understand. So this all fascinates me, Norna, because, you know, you're absolutely right. We do need a much more diverse uh, selection of students and people to invite into our churches and our events and our, uh, and our general spirituality. But how? How do we reach those people? I know you've talked about privilege where perhaps we're in this pattern where maybe they're not interested, but how do we find them? How, do, how can we make work practically to assist? Well, I'm going to be honest with you and uh, say that if the spiritual practitioner is motivated, they're going to find whoever it is they need to find. Now, I do want to be honest with you, especially as, a, as an older woman here. If suddenly tomorrow it was learned that African-Americans or people of African ancestry in the UK, that they were now the most wealthiest people in the world and they were going to be able to be available to uh, seek services of spiritual practitioners, I will bet you at least a pound. I don't have a lot of money. I don't know how much a pound is in, in U.S., but I would bet you a pound that these people that you're talking about would find these African-Americans and African people of uh, ancestry. They would find them. They would use social media. They would use newspapers. They would advertise perhaps in some magazines that are uh, focused on the needs of people of color. They would talk to maybe people of color that they never thought about talking to before, invite them to lunch, invite them to dinner, maybe throw a party. So if you are motivated, and I'm going to be a little hardcore on this, uh, in that if there is motivation, if there is seeing yourself satisfying a need within your practice or that this is something missing, uh, this is a missing piece of your practice, then you are going to take time and seek what it is that's going to be made, that is going to make your practice the way you want it to be. So it's the same skills that we use to attract students. It's the same skills that we can figure out how we can get on Ann Teatro's <laughs> podcast so that we can uh, uh, share the light 
and share our experiences. It's the same set of skills and it's based on motivation and figuring out what it is I want my practice to look like. As I mentioned, thus far, we have not been doing a good job as spiritual practitioners in making our practice diverse, attracting and encouraging uh, people of color uh, to our events. And I will go on to even say it further that some of the major spiritualist organizations, such as the SNUI and the SNU, that I am a part of, and perhaps other places as well, has not performed adequately in this area. Now, I know they will say, and I ascribe it to uh, as well, that they are open. They are open to anyone that comes, and they encourage everyone of different colors and classes and so forth to come. And I, I agree with that. However, there's a major difference between saying you are open and articulating it and maybe even writing it down that you are open versus you taking active steps, concerted steps, structured steps in your mission, vision, value statement and the way you behave to attract and encourage people of color in your organization. Beautifully put and absolutely 100%. When I look at my own practice, I think, well, if I advertise a class, I just put the class out there and hope somebody will waft past and book it. But I don't actively go out and make sure, as you say, take responsibility upon myself to make sure that I'm getting a diverse number of students which is reflective of what I believe myself to be as a spiritual person and an open person where everybody is welcome but I don't I don't take enough action myself that is very true and I'm sure others are in the same place as I am and not something I've ever really considered until I've spoken to you like this because we all think yeah I'm completely open of course why wouldn't I be and we are we're very you know we're loving beautiful people but take responsibility yes and, and, and active, actionable steps. For example, again, uh, this is not about you, Anne, because I feel as though I'm, I am one of your students as well uh, through the wondrous Tony Stockwell, because Tony, uh, as you know, talks about this issue head on in his classes. I can't say every class, but most of the classes that I attended, he talked about, he talks about this this issue. And I don't know if he he took active steps in recruiting people of color, but you you do see an increase over the years. And I have had the opportunity to know him since about 2010, 2011. And I've noticed that there have been increases of people of color in his classes and in in some other classes of world-renowned mediumship teachers, uh, spiritual practitioner teachers, that there is an increase. But we're not there yet. If, in fact, you go along with just the percentages, African-Americans here in the United States represent 13% of the population. So does that mean that we should strive 
for similar numbers or similar representation in our classes, or even that we might have 50%. Why not? Because we're, we're so far behind, aren't we, in exposing and encouraging uh, people of color to be involved in spiritual practices. So, Lorna, you're this beautiful, amazing leader of people. How did you get to this position? I mean, what is your life story, if you could summarize that for us, as to what led you to this work? Well, I'm going to respond to your question in two different ways, because I think one response has to do with what makes me motivated to talk about these issues of isms, right? And in addition, you're asking what led me to spiritual practices? Yes. Okay. So in answer to your question, there is a important theme in my own background and experience where I felt I was not seen. And this didn't have, this isn't, with regard to my family circumstances, because I felt very much seen within my family of origin. But I'm talking about the external environment, where as I was growing up, we did not see people of color on televisions, in magazines, in the radios. I was telling someone yesterday, when I was growing up and we would see a person of color on TV, we would be so excited. We'd call the whole neighborhood and all the family to go and watch because it was something that was not present. So I I do want to emphasize to you that I grew up in an urban area in, in the city of New York, but nonetheless, talking about it from a, a sense of being seen, being recognized, being validated, seeing myself as in equal standing with white people. It, it just did not occur. And I was in school during the uh, civil rights movement. So I was inundated with the uh, documentaries uh, and the pictures of Black people being assaulted, the fire hoses set upon them, the dogs. I remember seeing the Edmund Pettus Bridge that they talk about quite a bit. That was aired on TV and the scenes of people being beaten, unarmed people being beaten. I remember to this day, the four little girls in Birmingham, Alabama, that were killed by men that hated them that didn't know them, but hated them and bomb a church. So this very much has been a theme in my life. And these things that I talk to you about, I have been impacted by. And even as an adult, I have had unfortunate experiences where I faced complete and utter potential for devastation through some of these isms that I talk about. I mentioned to you that when I was in graduate school, uh, because I did decide I was going to be a social worker, and I was in a very prestigious Ivy League 
institution. And I always have been a hard worker when it comes to school. You know, my grandmother, who was from the Caribbean, she would say, your teacher is your best friend. She also said, mon and education don't mix. She also said that. So I remember some of these things. But anyway, while I was in the end of my second year, I think, I had one of the professors who happened to be white, who just had just this negative vibe towards me. She, I met with her because she had problems with the paper I wrote. And she got up over me in my face and pointed her arthritic finger at me. And she said, you will never become a social worker because you people can't write. I'll never forget it. One day, I I think she's going to probably come to be in uh, one of my readings, and she and I will be able to hopefully find some resolution to this experience. And I was so shocked with her saying that, I didn't know what to say. I was shocked, and then, of course, I got angry, but I knew I couldn't express my anger. So, again, just to not to go on so much, this, these issues have been, these experiences of isms have been very much a part of my upbringing, my experience, and my professional career, because I taught for many years in the graduate schools of social work. And my subject was uh, ethnocultural issues in social work practice and also racism, sexism, oppression, and diversity in social work practices. Those were my areas. So I spent time not only in lived experience, but did quite a bit academically studying, researching, doing even some uh, scientific presentations on uh, the extent to which we understand these isms in our lives. So this has been very much a part of me. But back in maybe 2008, 2007 even, I began to feel with all of my uh, work as an administrator and manager and Uh, working for different state governments and really quite high up there in cabinet level positions in organizations. I felt as though there was something missing. Now, you can imagine we're doing all this work. And by the way, I'm also wife, mother, right? But still, I felt something was missing. And a couple of things happened. I began to feel that there was the potential for healing others in my hands, just out of the blue. The other thing was that I got connected with a gentleman on a radio show with numerology and began to study numerology with him. And through his numerology uh, groups, it was a weekly group, wonderful group. We studied numerology and we also Uh, there was a self-help component in it. And besides that, through his group, I began to study and have weekly sessions with a, a woman with a group that had women and people from all over, Canada, uh, New York, every, the South. And she was a medium, a shaman, a healer. Uh, and so I met with that group 
for quite some time. And then somewhere around 2010, still seeking this yearning I had for something more, uh, began my studies in mediumship. And uh, I was already intuitive. By the way, the teacher that I mentioned that told me I was never going to be a social worker, she said to me, you're also an intuitive social worker, and that is not good social work. So you see, there was some recognition there already of my uh, intuitive work. But the mediumship blossomed blossomed really in minutes. I did a, uh, a meditation. It just flowed. It's just did like that. And uh, so I've been studying and uh, practicing ever since. So you see, these two things, I thought these two things were going to be separate once I got into the spiritual practices, you know, and I was going to let all this other stuff go. But spirit had other plans. And so I often would receive guidance to begin to infuse the spiritual practices with the information and with the uh, years of study that I had performed uh, years back and bringing it into the spiritual realm because it, it needs to be there. And are you still studying Lorna numerology or how do you use that within your everyday or your life or don't you, if you just let that go now? How, how does that work for you at the moment? Well, you know, Anne, numerology is an ancient practice and I would be less than honest if I didn't say it's something that I utilize in my one-to-one readings. It's only recently that there seems to be a burgeoning interest among uh, spiritual practitioners in seeing it and utilizing it. So I am a person that in some respects goes with the flow. And so since there's interest and there, it, this is a skill that I had, I feel as though I need to respond to it. And this is why I am hosting a, uh, a workshop October the 3rd and uh, also was just on a podcast uh, regarding my numerology practice. And if there are people that are interested in having a numerology uh, reading, and analysis. Now, what people have to understand, it's very different from mediumship. And in some respects, it is different from an intuitive or psychic reading. Although I use my intuitive and psychic skills in the course of the numerology reading and analysis. But much of the work of the numerology reading and analysis occur outside of the one-to-one reading. What I mean by that is it takes a lot of time in doing all of the mathematical analysis of the different aspects of the person's inner and outer personality, as well as the larger issues of the universal energy of where we find ourselves presently. So then once we do all those calculations, then we begin to look at the various themes in the person's analysis. What are the themes? What are the important aspects? Are there different aspects of the person's 
uh, numerology reading that are in conflict with one another that they need to be aware of? Do they need to open themselves up to various inner feelings that they may have that are impacting their pursuing their goals? So it's a, I hope I'm doing it justice. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm just giving you the introductory focused ideas about it. But I think it's a very useful tool for people so that they begin to understand the energy of numbers and how the energy of numbers impacts them in a very individualized and specific way. And so if people can't make your workshop on the 3rd of October, because a feeling this podcast might go out slightly after that date, uh, if they email you, they could perhaps put their name down for your next workshop for numerology work or come to you for a a private reading for numerology. That would be absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. And they can also friend me on Facebook and uh, see that there would be a posting about any upcoming workshops uh, on Facebook. Perfect. And you spoke as well about your trance healing and healing others with your hands that came intuitively to you. And I know that you're working in the area of trance at the moment and exploring that for yourself. Do you want to speak a little bit about trance healing and what you might offer there? Yes. Well, first of all, I will tell you, as I worked on my connection with spirit and spirit persons, I began to feel as though that connection intensified. And in readings that I even received from very stellar mediums, they often would tell me, I hope you realize, Lorna, that there are times you dip into trance. You may not realize it, but you kind of dip into it. And uh, as they encouraged me, I never saw myself as a trance medium. I always felt like, you know, da, 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 da. those were people, you know, kind of over there. But as I began to work with Tony Stockwell and others and develop my trance abilities or faculties, I decided that this is something I would pursue. So I entered in a year, a year-long apprenticeship with uh, Helen DeVita, who you know is uh, Arthur Finley Tudor and has done wonderful work in uh, mediumship and trans healing and so forth. And during that mentorship, although she told me uh, it was more of an apprenticeship for me than a, a mentorship, because she said, and I say this with humility, when I performed the uh, trans healing as part of my studies, she told me, you were born to do this work, Lorna. You do understand that. So I feel as though in the course of doing trans healing, that spirit is working with me and working through me in a very strong and personal way so that I can hopefully impact others in serving spirit by attending to their healing needs. And people who are listening to this podcast may not fully appreciate what it really is. Can you explain that? Certainly. The way I practice trance healing is perhaps different from others. I do trance healing that is both trance and mediumship. And in my work thus far, and I've, I've done trance healing in groups, and I've done it uh, on one-to-one with individuals. And oftentimes with me, 
it starts out with mediumship, where I begin to call upon the spirit practitioners that I work with so that they can intervene in whatever it is that the person is experiencing that requires trans healing. And I I see all sorts of different things where they are actually working on the person. But then what often happens is that it, it moves into trans state where I am being used by this spiritual uh, healing practitioner to speak through me what it is the person who needs the healing requires. So this is how I work. This is not how everyone works. Now, separate and apart from that, I do study trance in and of itself, and I am able to do trance mediumship as well. But that's separate and apart from the trance healing that I do. I've also had the opportunity to conduct the class on it um, because people are very, very interested in this. And so I had a class last year on it, uh, trance healing, bringing healing to life, because I wanted to communicate to students and others that participate that this is a way we can bring healing to life, that it can be observed, it can be felt, it can be uh, communicated thought to thought, that it is a, a real way of bringing it to life and bringing it so that people can fully experience it and achieve the opportunity for healing various issues. Now, I do want to say last that this is not just about physical healing. And because I have a, an immense background in mental health and addictions, that often my spirit practitioners use me to address emotional issues that the person may be experiencing that also as because we are mind, body, and spirit holistic beings, right? So that things that may have an emotional component that, uh, the person's physical uh, problem may be uh, impacted by this uh, emotional problem. They use me to, uh, to talk with the person about emotional challenges such as trauma. Trauma is a very big thing uh, for people and the extent to which trauma that they may experience for whatever reason they, they don't recognize or they do recognize, but uh, don't see its impact in their day-to-day life. So they use me to talk with what it is the person needs in terms of healing that has a physical, an emotional, a spiritual, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And your trance healing and the trance work that you do and the trance teaching that you do can all be done online, can't it? It doesn't have to be now face-to-face. Absolutely. You see, when I studied uh, numerology and also, as I said early on, the the woman that was a medium and a a shaman and so forth, it was on, on the telephone. We didn't even have the ability to look at the faces. So I'm very comfortable that energy is something that is palpable. That is something that is through telephone, through even not seeing the person, 
um, that we can connect energetically and have the opportunity to fully understand and work with the energies that are presented to us. And Lorna, talk to us about your childhood as a, as a young girl growing up in New York. Were you a very spiritual family or was your intuitive side encouraged by your family or discouraged? How was it for you growing up as a child? Uh, that's an interesting question uh, because I would say we were very, a very intuitive family. We were a religious family. Uh, but not not the religion of you know you're going to go to hell and damnation. Um, I was encouraged to see the more loving aspects of religion. Uh, but I grew up very very spiritual. My grandmother, absolutely maternal grandmother, was absolutely a medium and a, a psychic, and would oftentimes impact the household with a vision or one of the clairs that she experienced and she uh, would not, uh, well, just to give you a a quick story, my mother was one of 10 children and five survived, four girls, and they all were getting ready for this big uh, dance. My eldest aunt did uh, designing and sewing and she would make them these glamorous outfits my mother could do hair, and so she would uh, do their uh, wonderful uh, hairstyles. And they were looking forward to going to this dance for weeks. And it was just, oh, all the preparations and the bathing and the perfumes and the uh, makeup and everything. And, and the mother agreed that they could go because she, you know, she figured that they would look out for each other, and they did. But anyway, somehow... As they were getting ready to go to this dance, just out of the blue, my grandmother, maternal grandmother, came to them and said, you're not going to the dance. And they were like, Mama, how could you? They were crying. They were carrying on. She said, take your clothes off, wash the makeup off. You're not going to the dance. You're not going, period, the end. Well, they, of course, lamented and cried and carried on, but she would not allow them to go to the dance. The following morning, they learned that a fight had broken out in the dance. People were trampled upon, trying to get out the way. And of course, they felt it was some vision that their mother had that they would have been harmed if they went to the dance. So she, she was very involved. I grew up in an extended family. Each of the sisters had their own apartment. I grew up with my aunts, my cousins, my uncles, um, and of course, my grandmother, who was the matriarch. She believed in a strong spiritual connection to God, strong. She would talk to God. She would sing. Uh, she lit candles on certain holidays. We were encouraged to fast and to uh, be quiet and build our relationship with God. So I uh, could very much easily move into uh, being psychic or intuitive work and then mediumship. Um, My mother studied astrology, would do charts on people. So it's all in my DNA. Gosh, 
you're lucky in that sense. Very lucky to have, well, considering this is the work that you're doing, you're lucky to have had that as a background. Well, that's true. I would say my father probably, he does now agree with it, but I don't think it would have been something my father would have agreed uh, on. He was the uh, intellectually focused person. Accountancy was his background. And it's interesting, I was a poor student in school around mathematics, algebra, and so forth. And here I am uh, involved with numerology. He probably would have been proud of that and probably is proud of that, but uh, because he was very involved with numbers and did people's tax return up until maybe a month or so before he died. Gosh. Lorna, I know you're involved with an organization called Helping Parents Heal. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yes. I was encouraged by uh, one of the uh, leaders of the organization that handles the uh, assessment of recommended mediums. This organization is focused on ways in which parents who lose their wonderful children, how can they achieve healing? And offering them various paths towards that healing. So I was encouraged to uh, contact the gentleman that does the assessment of mediums that are recommended to this group. And there was a very intense assessment process that I went through to be uh, credentialed as uh, being certified uh, to be one of the mediums that they recommend. And again, I will say with some sense of awe and some sense of just incredulousness that parents who lose children come in all descriptions, unfortunately. Parents who are Latinx or Asians or African Americans or African ancestry, they all unfortunately have the experience of of loss. And this is a major loss. My mother lost my kid sister. And this was part of the many traumas that my mother experienced. So the loss of a child is horrible. We all think as parents that we're going to outlive our children. And when they die before us, it is devastating. But again, I tell you, Anne, and I didn't seek recruitment or participation for uh, this group for this reason, but there were, at least the last time I looked, there were no mediums of color that uh, are participating in this group. And though I am absolutely open to offering mediumship and healing to anybody that seeks my service from this organization or any organization, the fact that there were no mediums of color is very important, I think, because I have heard from clients that are associated with this, uh, this group, and you won't be surprised, but they say to me, you know, I was looking for a person that looked like me, right, that looked like me, that I could come to and feel comfortable in obtaining mediumship services. I've heard from two or three people from that group. So there's work that we need to do. 
both as teachers and mentors, but organizationally as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Lorna. I know that you yourself have just recovered from an illness, (laughs) the dreaded illness that we all are terrified of catching. Would you be prepared to share a little about that experience with us? Absolutely, Ed. And I believe I mentioned this to you, but I have been completely open and honest that unfortunately I contracted COVID in August, despite the fact of being very careful. I am one to ascribe to wearing a mask, washing your hands, staying in the house, all of these type of things I ascribe to and encourage my family to do likewise. So we we have been in pretty much since March when this all began in uh, New Jersey. And unfortunately, the county that I live in had the highest numbers initially around COVID. And it remained high for quite some time. But nonetheless, I have been totally upfront and honest with having it because I felt as though the issue of stigma comes up. Stigma meaning some external mark that has a negative feeling or a pejorative feeling or thought towards the individual who has the stigma. And I am very much one to challenge stigma, whether it's talking about the various isms that we've mentioned this thus far in the interview, or whether we're talking about it in terms of trauma, various abuse that people suffer sexual abuse, physical abuse, people that have unfortunately suffered mass incarceration here in the United States due to being profiled for really uh, the path from being in their own homes, but being profiled and the path being to incarceration. And as we know, uh, we have so many people of color that have been incarcerated for many nonviolent offenses. And the jails now are completely overrun. Uh, Look at the numbers in California and other places with people that really should not be there. But nonetheless, so that's my rant about stigma and why I have, I posted it uh, on Facebook. People knew about it and uh, shared the information. I shared the information with my clients as to why I had to cancel appointments because I feel very much stigma is something we need to to attend to. But besides that, I will tell you, I have had various other, unfortunately, diseases in the past. Some people say this is like a flu. Uh, This was not like a flu to me. I've also had meningitis, so I know what that feels like. I had natural childbirth with my children because at that time they weren't doing the the different types of anesthetics. And I was told that anesthesia would harm the babies. So I am no stranger to pain and suffering, unfortunately. But I will tell you, my dear, unequivocally, that whatever this virus is, And however it was manufactured or developed to harm 
it is doing a very good job of it. Not only, as you know, we have, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 190,000 deaths here in the United States. We also have, I think, five or six million that have been impacted. And I was one of the five or six million. There's no way to say it other than this. In the acute phases of the illness, I thought there were times I would die and that I was going to die. There was no one really I could say that to because if I said it to my husband and my son and my other two daughters, they would have been so devastated that either they would have just maybe lied on the floor next to me and felt like they were going to die or I I just can't tell you how bad you feel and that the resources that you could utilize to bring yourself back some way, somehow, you have no resources. There are no resources you have. I couldn't pray, and I consider myself a, a prayer warrior, right? I, I, can, I can pray for others. I can pray for myself. I can do trans healing, right? And call upon my spiritual practitioners to help. I couldn't even utter a prayerful word. The best I could do is I could say, creator, spirit. I could say one word. And I could communicate both to people uh, that I knew that were, the outpouring was wonderful. I could communicate to people that I needed prayers. But other than that, it was anguish. It was devastation, despair, and a sense that I might not make it. That, that's the best way. I couldn't eat. I couldn't even chew to eat. I felt as though I might be able to eat if somebody else chewed whatever and gave it to me and it was soft, maybe I could swallow. They got small uh, bits of water in me and that was the nourishment for a good, I would say, uh, two weeks. Something that we need to pay attention to. It is a devastating disease. And you don't have the resources within yourself in order to fight it. The fight came externally. The prayers, the, I had healing meditations that were done in my behalf. Those energies, that vibration is what pulled me back to life. Because there's nothing that could be done in the hospitals. My hospital experience was, uh, to be very honest, awful. And... In my second visit to the hospital, I was given the vision that although they demanded to admit me, I saw myself going in the hospital, but not coming out. So I continue to recover and I am not, I would not at all say I'm recovered. I think it's going to take probably a good another two months before I begin to have some semblance of structured recovery, of anticipated recovery. Because right now, there are various aspects of my body, mind, and spirit that have not at all fully recovered and that there isn't 
something that I can depend on and say, oh, you know, I can do exercise or I can go to the supermarket uh, without anyone or I can drive, you know, to New York without anyone. Right now, I would put myself in kind of a disabled class. Gosh, what a frightening experience. But it is beautiful to hear the amount of love and affection that was shown to you. And I know that I was on some of the Facebook groups that you're also on. And I know a lot of people were praying for you and sending their love (laughs) to you. They're sending their love to you and sending their light to you. And it's only right that we should do because you're such a, a, a fighter for other people. You're such a protector of others. And even just being in this interview with you you make me feel very safe like I always want to be around you and I don't want to be walking through the world on my own <laughs> if I had Lorna next to me you'd be my perfect you guide so through much. life <laughs> so I'm so beautiful thank you <laughs> well it's true and I'm really delighted that you're back with us and I know there will be a little bit of recovery time but hopefully you will soon be back to full health and where can people find you Lorna if they would like to come and speak to you about any of the things you've mentioned in this podcast if they want to come and train with you have a beautiful reading with you or just get in contact to talk about all kinds of stuff oh lovely I welcome that they can contact me by email at Lorna J Hines at gmail.com or they are welcome to take a look at my website www.lornajhines.com. Great. So Lorna, um, what are you going to be focused on now? I know obviously you were focusing a little bit on your recovery and taking the necessary rest, but where's your, um, where is your work taking you over the next four to six months, would you say? I'm going to be devoting a lot of attention to the mediums of African ancestry site. We're going to be having a number of different programs that may be of interest to your listeners. We have one uh, coming up on the uh, September 19th. I know uh, this is uh, going to be aired after that, but I mention it nonetheless. Siobhan uh, Carlson will be talking about uh, spiritualism, mediumship, and healing, and some very important things to know in terms of people of color and the representation of people of color. And then on uh, September 25th, we're going to invite Brandy Kahn, who is also a former student of Tony Stockwell, and I was in workshops with her. We are going to be looking at the ways in which some of these isms that I talked about negatively impact the uh, spiritual development of people of color. So we're going to go into that in a more focused and intense way. So we begin to understand the impact and how impactful these isms are uh, among uh, people of color who are spiritually uh, practicing. And third, we are going to be hosting in October, probably mid to end of October, a dialogue on how to be an anti-racist medium. As you know, uh, there is a book uh, out called How to Be an Anti-Racist, who uh, the book's premise is, if you do nothing, are you really being an anti-racist? And I think that's an important question to look at. 
So we're going to be uh, hosting that dialogue. We had a very successful dialogue previously on uh, Black Lives Matter and the extent to which uh, the whole Black Lives Matter aspect impacts spiritual practitioners. So I think some of that will be talked about uh, around the uh, anti-racism. And we also have just received confirmation that we will be uh, involving uh, Monique Baker and uh, Carolyn Wilkins, both mediums, but uh, are very much musically oriented. And we hope to have a just grand extravaganza music speaking as it relates to people of color. So those the events are coming up. There may be more because in between we do a lot of meditations and uh, spiritual healing, uh, spiritual healing on racism. Um, and as I said, we have a diverse multicultural group that are all about learning. So uh, quite a bit of that will be my focus as well as completing my book because I've given myself a deadline uh, to complete it. I am looking for someone that will help with publishing. So if there's someone out there that is motivated, that's interested, it's not just about mediumship and spiritual practice. It's much broader and expanded. So that is definitely a part of it. And I'll continue my teaching uh, and I will continue my work with students. I like this one-to-one. And uh, I also uh, should mention, I joined Reverend Janet Mohavik's uh, ministerial program. So I hope in a year or so, I will also be a minister. Although many tell me that I already show a lot of the uh, attributes of a minister. You certainly do. You will be an incredible minister. Well, you already are. Lorna, an incredible minister, and that would just people benefit so much from your love and your kindness and your generosity of spirit and your protective side and your drive to seek equality for everybody, to see all souls as equal. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Lorna J. Hines, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure, a wonderful, wonderful pleasure. And I, I support you. I hope you will continue this very important, important work and that blessings abound and the direction and the focus and the path that you need, that all obstacles will be removed so that you can continue being the voice of spirit, being the ambassador of spirit in a very expanded but yet impactful way. So God bless you, Anne. And I'm so, so happy You're my friend. Thank you so much, Lorna. That means the world. Lorna J. Hines, everybody. What an incredible woman. Do look her up on the internet and visit her Facebook page, Mediums of African Ancestry. There are some very interesting articles posted up there, and it's a very vibrant and positive community to be involved with. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please can I ask you to go to iTunes, Find the show Psychic Matters, scroll down and you'll see at the bottom a little button and you can click it 
uh, to write an honest review. And these are so important in helping move the podcast up the podcast charts. And I'd love to get to number one. One day, maybe. I mean, I did get to number five once upon a time in the UK charts, which was just fantastic. But wouldn't it be wonderful to get to number one? That way we could reach so many more people who might really benefit from all the wisdom, the advice and the guidance that has been so generously shared by my many guests to date. I'll be back with you in two weeks' time. Meanwhile, take care, everybody. My name is Anne Teato, and thank you for listening to Psychic Matters.